you not entertained? <laughs> That's all I could think of, you guys. It's Michelle Veray. With me, as always, is... Kimberly Trung. And <laughs> we are so entertained by our lovely guest today. We are so excited that she's here. Um, but we also are entertained by period pieces, which is our topic today. Um, I have a question for both of you, which... Um, I think it all kind of came up off tape as well as we were preparing for this this episode. But I think that period pieces are interesting. And what I noticed is that a lot of the characters that I was looking at were predominantly in period pieces white. And I feel like that says something about historical, you know, references, the stories that we tell when it comes, whether even if it's like when it comes to mythology or fantasy. And I was trying to think of the first time that I ever saw a person of color on any screen. I think it was Lando Calrissian in Star Wars. That's probably <laughs> the first one. Not but bad. Not bad. That's a good introduction if we're talking about Very good. <laughs> fictional characters by POC. Um, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I think this is, I think, Period pieces are cool, but um, they're not always really diverse. No, not at all. <laughs> not <laughs> at all. I actually, so, okay, as a woman who, like, is Asian, who, like, grew up with Asian family and what have you, I'll never forget being in college. And I had a sweet friend who was also, who is also Asian, but you know, at the time he was also Asian. I don't, I like I, saying was Asian sounds weird to me. Anyway, sweet Marcus in college. He was, we met through our drama program and he like opened my mind and he grew up in Singapore and he traveled all over the world uh, uh, performing and he just had like this cultured view of the world and I feel it was like light years ahead of me. Anyway, I'll never forget, we were talking about something and... And I think we were talking about period pieces or something. And I said, I think I said something as asinine as like, oh, well, you know, uh, you you know, there has to be white people in there because it was mostly, you know, white people around. And he looked at me and he was like, Kim, you don't think that there were any Asians or black people? And I just remember being like, oh, my God, that is so stupid. What, I, what I've been thinking this whole time. It wasn't stupid, though. I mean, when you think about it, we grew up in school predominantly learning white European yes. history. Yes, we and were taught that white it, people are the thing that we need to learn and need to center around. Right. And I think it's so interesting. And and so it wasn't that it was stupid. It's just that's what... Ignorant. It, it was ignorant. <laughs> I don't want to no. say that it was ignorant. I just yes, think that's... it was that, ignorant. But that's, that's what that okay. was... It was fed to you, right? Like if you're fed I, stories... Yeah, yeah Sankey said like if you're fed stories that are predominantly white, then that's that's your frame of reference. And you think think all stories are that way. And history is that way. I don't blame you. I, I fully don't blame you. Like, if if an alien looked at planet Earth and <laughs> learned about our culture and civilization through through period pieces strictly, it would have been as if people of color sprung from the Earth in, like, <laughs> yeah. the 2010s um, or something. Right, yeah. 
Uh huh. Only through slavery or I don't know, like yes. other terrible, you know, historical events that we can, uh, for whatever reason, we keep wanting to make movies about. But uh, I, yeah, the lack of diversity in period pieces is really daunting. When we came into this task of wanting to talk about period pieces as three women of color on this right. call right now, like I think all of us were just like, yo. There are no non-white people. There are no uh, non-white people. It's just like you have to watch something like Hamilton that has like a diverse cast or like mm-hmm. Bridgerton, which people Bridgerton, still co- – yeah. then people complain that that wasn't the right casting either. And I was like, oh, us people of color can't win at all. Like you, you just can't like – win. You can't. But I, I was frustrated. I was telling Kim and I was also telling Sankita that I was saying I'm looking at all these period movies and – that I love. And then I was like, no, let me see if I can find somebody, anybody who's like brown. And then I was like, no, I have to look at, I have to pick from slaves, savages. Like mm-hmm. I think of the one of the very first movies that I ever watched with my dad was Singing in the Rain. And there's like, mm-hmm. a, like what you would consider like a houseboy. He like, he worked Ugh. around the house and he's in the movie for like two seconds, but he's clearly Filipino. And I was like, well, that's all I got. A no name guy probably has no credit in singing in the rain. So it was just, it was, mm-hmm. this was a tough, this was a tough task, but I think it's interesting that we talk about it. Um, it doesn't take away from the stories that I think that we're going to talk about today and the crushes that we have on some of these No, 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 def- definitely, definitely not. And I, it, the thing is, is, you know, I think we, we still have a lot of education to do, right? I think especially over the last year, we realized through George Floyd and the work of Black Lives Matter, now the things we're seeing with this Asian, the Asian uh, attacks on Asian communities, uh, there's still a lot left for us to learn. And I, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be that person in terms of like, well, fucking figure it out already. You know what I mean? I don't want to be that person because I think, I, as a woman of color at the age of 1920, was like, uh, oh yeah, white people. <laughs> Those were the only people around at the time. But which it's is crazy. It's funny you say that. Kim and I went and saw. Uh, this was when we could still see each other in person. So this was pre-pandemic, and we went and saw. Um, you'll have to remind me of the name, but we saw this like performance. Um, was it Latin history for for dummies? Was that what it was oh called? my god! Yes, mm-hmm. and honestly, it was the first time that somebody said, "Why is." white art white art considered fine art but if you look at art from like indigenous people any any art that comes from people of color is considered folk art Mm. and you guys this was this was what two years ago so i'm a grown woman no one had Mm. ever said that to me before and i i'm an art nerd i love art and i just it blew my mind when he said that and i was thinking that's so true. And you and you still see it. If you went to a museum, you would still see that there are things, for, there's artwork or sculpture from indigenous people considered folk art, but not fine art. Oh, yeah. That reminds me of the time. Sorry, I was just going to say, oh, yeah. I, 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 lear- I learned that Greek statues, like the white ones, the marble ones, used to be like painted, like oh. with dark skin people. So that was like, it was like a, quite a literal whitewashing of oh, what we consider to be fine art. So it was like a mind blow moment for me. Oh my that God. Is interesting. That is so cool to know. That is a fun fact right there. I, um, I'm mm. really, Michelle knows this about me. I'm really nerdy when it comes to antiques. I'm like, 
I'm like your 70 year old aunt who loves to go to antique markets and stuff like that. I just love it. I love trolling through <sighs> old shit. I just Thank love you. it. And the thing that always disappoints me is like artwork or uh, uh, music sheets or whatever. It's if you find any sort of POC in that, like you've struck gold, like, mm-hmm. because there was just, yeah. they didn't exist. They didn't, they didn't make room for these people. So anytime I'm at one of these antique markets and I see a person of color, like I bought this like, um, bar tray and i was like oh my god it has a latino man on it it's mine (laughs) (laughs) like i bought it it was totally overpriced but i was like it's worth it it's It's happening every other advertisement from that time it's like white 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 the whitest of white too it's like the whitest women you've ever seen with the Mm -hmm. blondest hair the bluest eyes and so anytime i see anything that has poc i'm like Oh, I'm like uh, I'm, bu- I'm buying it, um, but yeah, I'm really Alexa excited. Of POC artifacts, <laughs> I love I, it. I Kim's know. new title. I know. Uh, well, hey, I'm perfectly fine with that lifestyle. But I'm I I also want to take a moment to recognize Lin Manuel Miranda for blowing our minds open with the idea of non-traditional casting i think there's really two people we truly need to thank for this shonda rhimes mm-hmm. and lin-manuel miranda like let's just take a moment and bow our heads to these two gods and goddesses for giving us yep. this idea of oh my god i can have a hit television series or several of them with non-white people as the leads <laughs> like yeah Playing very traditional white, what would be traditional white roles, like royalty, right? Like kings and queens and, and I Doctors, love you know what that. I mean? Like, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I hate to be that person, but what doctor do you know is white? They're mostly not white. It's like, <laughs> so, so she it's funny you with- say that because none of my doctors are white. Not right. one of them. Me neither, me neither. Like, look, I'm not going to lie. My my doctor is white, white woman. But like, no, she's woman. That's good. <laughs> but like, she came along with Grey's Anatomy and was like, and just blew the lid off of it. And I'll never forget reading this article where they asked about her casting process for Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. And she was like, so if for anybody who's kind of, you know, tried to be an actor or is familiar with the industry, you submit yourself through these breakdown services, quote unquote. And in the breakdown, we'll show a, a literal breakdown of characters, their age, their ethnicity, whatever. And you as a casting person can check off what you're looking for, white, Asian, black, you know, Middle Eastern, whatever, right? Now, If you do, or you can check off an easy box called all ethnicities. If you do that, what they had, what Shonda Rhimes found was if she put casting out that said all ethnicities Mm -hmm. for characters, she would get only white submissions, mainly white submissions Mm -hmm. and hardly any POC show up. And then she got to a point where she was like, okay, I'm going to make it super specific. No white. Like, like no, like no Caucasian for this role. And once she did that, mm-hmm. it, she finally was getting the submissions she wanted. But yeah, like I, I just. no idea that was a process. Yes. And she, again, I bow to her because you look at the Grey's Anatomy's cast and you're like, oh my God, talk about like 
Um, and one of the longest running shows, w- too. One of the most successful TV dramas in all of history, created and uh, executive produced by a black woman and like had a very diverse cast, introduced us to people like Sandra O. Oh. I mean, calm the hell on. I just love how she br- breaks all these like stereotypes. It is so beautiful and i gotta be honest i've i've mm-hmm. been on and off gray's anatomy for years but i i will always credit her for changing for changing media and represent representation in media as we know it and then of course lynn manuel mm-hmm. miranda was like oh you thought that was good wait till you see this <laughs> <laughs> and then chandra rhymes yes. is like oh yeah well wait till you see yeah. <laughs> bridgerton how about them uh, yeah they're just like constantly oh one-upping God. each other I, that's a one-upmanship i am a fan of other I, just, I don't I don't care for one of it. I just want to shout out yeah. um Brandy's Brandy Cinderella, which yes! is an iconic example of casting people of color. Yes. Well, I think people say it's colorblind casting, but I also think that's a sort of complicated thing no. to say while we're while we're talking about this because it's like colorblind casting is like it can be problematic because like there are some there are some things where it makes sense to have people of who are that race play that race, Crazy Rich Asians, for example. But I thought Brandy Cinderella was like a true example of like balls to the wall. We're going to get the best people for this role mm-hmm. with the best chemistry. We're going to have a black Cinderella, a Filipino Prince Charming. And that that is one of the thing, one of the only things I think I saw growing up that was like, Wow, what the what the hell is this? Uh, yeah, it, Whitney Houston. I mean, example. so good. Yes, 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 yes. The whole cast is so amazing. Good. So amazing. So and FYI, it's now available on Disney Plus, right? Mm-hmm. Finally. <laughs> thank God, as of like three months ago. <laughs> right. Uh, Michelle, who is our lovely guest in that lovely third voice we have on this oh, episode? The lovely third voice. She is our newfound friend, our new best friend. She just doesn't know it yet. We are very excited to have the very lovely Sangeeta Singh Kurtz with us today. Welcome. She is Hello. a she is a senior writer for The Cut at New York Magazine. And full disclosure, um, we fully stopped Sangeeta to get her here. We loved her article. She's written a lot. Um, if you go and look her up, you'll see all of her articles. But we came across her amazing article about this year's nominations for the Golden Globes, which we, mm. <laughs> I liked, mm. as I like to joke with Kim, I saw a picture of Emily in Paris. I was like, that wasn't nominated. And then it was. Um, <laughs> but we it came was. across Sankita's article and we were like, who is this girl who read our minds? Um, she, she roasted the Golden Globes as, as deserved with no Michaela, no representation, speaking of lack of representation, no love for Michaela Cole no. or or Steve Young or Alan Kim. I, there was we couldn't believe it. Um, I called the cops because of many <laughs> crimes have been committed, and the cops were like, "This is not the right way to go about this." Please and stop, like, okay. <laughs> Kim. Um, but yes, it, it was a crime. The lack of of representation by the Golden Globes and what things were nominated and what weren't. So we loved her article so much. We thought she is a perfect person to have on an episode of Crush Fictionally to talk about the characters that we do love. And then 
in irony and life being what it is, we pick period pieces, which are predominantly white. So I think it <laughs> makes it really funny that we're chatting today to see if we can find who better to talk about it, who better to talk about where we can find representation in period pieces than Sangeeta. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reading that article. I didn't realize that was the one that brought me here, but I'm I'm thrilled that you approve and it was a terrible thing, but no one cares about the HFPA, honestly. You know, you know they're like just random people. Yeah. They're, they're like, like random they're people like, and they're no people we just learned they're no people of color, right? And they just had to come forward and admit that they have like no people oh. of color at all. They came yeah, through yeah. on the award show to like own up to it and be like, oh, I guess we messed up. And we're like, They're that's like, why. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and this whoops, is why I Emily and why. Paris got nominated. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Mm. I was telling yeah, Michelle. Yeah. I don't I, know if you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't know if you guys saw, but like members of the HFPA got a very cushy Paris vacation. Michelle told me. To Emily Paris. So that is an interesting piece of this train wreck of a story that is that explains such so a much. train wreck and we couldn't love um michaela cole more than we do and then uh i may destroy you destroyed us i mean mm-hmm. it just spoke to us in so many ways and the fact that it just got zero recognition broke our hearts and so we appreciate you calling that out rightfully so because we could not agree more uh, yeah we were literally texting each other and then she texted me your article and i was like oh my god (laughs) have you seen this and i was like who is this who is this new friend of ours that we need to track down because this is 100 percent right yeah you took the words like right out of my mouth and made them a a thousand times more eloquent than anything i would have ever said but like yeah i mean it was everything oh my god anyway guys we got to get to period pieces. Y'all are sitting here salivating, being like, who is it going to be? What white person are they going to choose? What white person are they going to choose? Are we going to choose a white person? Maybe I already told you who's going to choose. The guy from <laughs> Singing in the Rain, who's maybe my cousin. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Let's go ahead and formally start this show. Welcome back to Crush Fictionally. You guys, we're talking period pieces today with the lovely Sangeeta Singh Kurtz. And before we get started, before we reveal our number one crushes who may either be predominantly all white or maybe a little bit of people of color, we don't know. I was struck by by how many, one, how many movies I watched this week that were set at different times. But I also came across this article as I was watching all these different movies that said that period pieces are skyrocketing in popularity. I know Bridgerton was very popular, you know, December timeframe. I think it still is. There's shooting season too soon or just started. But but in the midst of this pandemic and the rough time we've all been having, that period pieces apparently are something that people find so comforting. And so people are flocking to them, which I think is interesting. And I had a question and thought as I was watching all of these different movies is, what is it about period pieces that make life seem so romantic? Like I'm watching all of these movies of guys doing these overtures and romantic gestures and declarations of love. And I was like, wow, I was like, 
this is a very romantic kind of theme that we're talking about today. What makes a period piece so damn romantic? Oh my gosh. It's funny you ask that because during these periods, like what was the, the, like the expected life expectancy was like 30 years old or something. Like everyone would die <laughs> of like right out diarrhea. Of my head. I'm like awful things happen during these time periods. Yeah. Very awful things. Right. It's like war, famine, like just horrible, horrible things. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a that's a great question. Why are we obsessed with them? I I think I think the clothes are really sexy. I, was just I think say, like mm-hmm. those clothes, the clothes are sexy. The rules around propriety, oh like my God, yeah. Like there was no sexual revolution. So whenever a period character hooks up, it's like you're doing something really bad. <laughs> that's what that's that's what feels in my gut. I'm like. That's what's hot about it. But, uh. Well, then there's like this tension, right? There's like this sexual tension yeah. too, where they're not supposed to be like hooking up all over the place in a period movie. But when they do, it's been like a long time coming. And so we're all just like waiting for it. Long time coming. And there's something about digging through layers of petticoats to like <laughs> get the goods. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you're not in layers of petticoats. Dress, like, yeah, I mean, these women were wearing like six layer, like pantaloons, the the whole thing. Like, yes. you didn't just have sex. Like, you had to work for it. So. You did. You so had to make some, a there's something there. effort. You really did. Yeah, like it's a lot of, and to get dressed afterward, it's a whole thing. <laughs> so that might have something to do with it. I think that's a. Sol- I mean, and also too, I think it depends obviously on the period, right? What era are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Because like, I think oftentimes we do kind of lean towards this like very like romantic-esque Victorian period or, mm. you know, around that era, Georgian, uh, often European, you know, royalty, yeah. monarchy type things or so- high society people. But like, Michelle, earlier you quoted Gladiator for anybody who was not aware. Yes. Uh, and Gladiator, I would definitely consider a period piece movie. Mm-hmm, I think it's mm-hmm. excellent. I think it's probably one of the few times I actually enjoy Russell Crowe. But <laughs> that's like Russell Crowe, like peak. Uh, do I peak. say this about everybody? Peak Russell Crowe was like Gladiator, <laughs> that is right? Because like, yeah. now you see him, like, he was in that recent movie where he plays like a guy with road a rage. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, he looks yeah. so not appealing and the movie looks, sorry, terrible. Um, but I'm like, man, that is, that's a fall from grace right there when you go back and watch a little Gladiator. Gladiator, guys. I think it's solid Russell Crowe movie. Peak Russell Crowe, as Michelle would say. <laughs> Peak Russell Crowe. I already told Kim there's a couple is things it? I'm going to say today and that I always say on the podcast. And I think like Peak so-and-so is one of them. Peak <laughs> Russell Crowe. And I'll say the other one later. When I give is it Joaquin crush. Phoenix in that movie too? Yes. That was like okay, young yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, right? Mm-hmm. He's so young, right? Yeah. Okay. I did have a little crush on him when I first saw it. Because my taste is bad, so you like a bad I'll boy, huh? Now. Yeah, he was a bad I'll just boy share that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, moving along. <laughs> That's okay. Should we should we get into our crushes? I think we should. I think we should talk about our number one crushes. And Sangeeta, you are our lovely guest, so you get to go first. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. So how do I, do I just like wax poetic about why he's my crush? Yeah. Tell yeah, us who yeah. it is. Tell just, us a little bit of why you love him. We may ask you a few questions on, you know, dig a little bit okay. deeper, but yeah, t- whatever you want to do, you tell, tell us, as us much the or character as little as and who plays him and in what movie I just said him. Okay. Okay. It, it is a him. It is the most basic <laughs> choice of all time. <laughs> but um, it's also it is also a a Greek themed um, period piece. The movie is Troy, mm-hmm. and it's Brad Pitt as Achilles, <laughs> which peak Brad which Pitt. All of it our- is. Oh my god, you took that right <laughs> out of my mouth. Well, actually- I was gonna be like peak Brad Pitt. With Sorry, Michelle. I stole your thunder. Locks. No, it's all right. I got. <laughs> I, you know, I got some other peak locks. stuff happening later. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that is, that is, um, but but so many. That's the thing about Brad Pitt. Like, he's when is he gonna stop peeking? Is my sort of fascination with this. With yeah, this, like I have. He was in um once upon in a time the, in Hollywood. Once upon a time in Hollywood, and I was like, and I'm okay with it. And I was like, oh, should I just break my direct TV? And he wants to come over and fix that antenna and get on my roof because I'd be fine with it. Because um, we took that oh shirt God. off in the theater. I can't remember if Kim and I saw this together. I don't think we did. No, we didn't. But man, did you I was scream? Like, I was like, no, um, no, because I was in the theater, so I didn't scream. But I remember thinking, <laughs> man, that's like that's a good point. When is he going to stop being peak Brad Pitt? I don't know, but he has that whole vibe in that movie of like. You know, he manly man, yeah. like make me a table. You know, he like murdered just, his wife, murdered his wife, which we didn't really get into. And he fought Bruce Lee, which would never, he never would have survived. But we'll just forget that fantasy part of the Quentin Tarantino movie and move on. But he is peak Brad yeah. Pitt in Troy as Achilles, and I'm not even mad about whatever accent he does or does not have in that movie. Um, he is so hot in this movie it's incredible <laughs> and there's so many famous people in this movie there's so many famous hot people in this movie too and like who is it diane kruger is also in it with a german accent so the accents are a big fucking <laughs> mess the movie's a big mess. mess like it's so bad but that opening scene where brad pitt who by the way is 40 in this movie Stop and has made right his body. Yes, you guys. That's why I'm so, I'm like, I am. <laughs> that astonished blows my mind. By how this man <laughs> continues to look. Um, whatever he did for his body was probably bananas. Who knows? But he, he looks like, I know that they spray painted him and like made him shiny for everything, but like, he Shiny. looks like a statue come to life. He has like long golden hair for those of you who haven't seen it. He has long golden hair. He has like his his jawline is like it confuses me Cut like when I see pictures of Brad Pitt on the internet. You can like I I just when I come across a photo of him like on the internet, I'm not even being like horny about it. I'm like <laughs> fascinated. I can't stop looking at it. Like I can't just go past a Brad Pitt photo. I'm like what is happening here? You know what I mean? And Troy is is just like two hours and 30 minutes of that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I couldn't tell you anything about the character's personality because as you... <laughs> That's going to be my next know, question. 
No, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. No, but you don't have to. Sorry. But I was just going to say, is there anything other than his, you know, you know, marble statue-esque body that and attracts his you to him? long locks. So the short answer is like, absolutely not. But <laughs> if, we, if we really have to get into it, like... He's brave. <laughs> he, he's a man. He, he's a good. He's a good warrior. Like he's good with. He's like can fight really well, which I guess is pretty cool. Like, but like <laughs> he I think can fight pretty well, is. which is pretty cool. I love that. <laughs> which is cool. Like that's impressive. It like, is if, very impressive. If someone has like that skill, like I'm, I'm sort of into that. He like he cares a lot about his family because there's one part where his cousin dies and he like he like just yeah he he uh he kills someone because he spends a lot of the movie killing people and womanizing so now that i think oh, more okay. about it i'm sort of like achilles it's is all like, bod it's all bod it's all face um sankita was saying that in the first like 10 minutes maybe in the first 10 minutes or so there's like a moment where he fights some huge guy who looks like the big show from wwf which i had to like pause it it's not him <laughs> um but looks like him um but he fights it and it's just such a really cool scene the way that they that whole fight scene breaks down and yeah he's not the most compassionate person um but uh he does care about his cousin played by a young Garrett Headland, who looks a lot like a young Jodie Foster. Garrett I'm gonna, Headland? Yeah, I know. I was like, who is that guy? Why does he look familiar? Um, but he does have a kind of a sweet moment with um, a young Rose Byrne where he kind of protects her. And I was like, well, I guess there's that redeeming factor that he's not yes. totally heartless. Maybe there's like a little bit of heart in there somewhere. He protects her, and then he immediately has sex with her. After. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he I does. Like, oh, and no, she's like Brett, supposed please. to be like a nun, or like she's supposed to be a virgin, or like priestess. the yeah, she's supposed yeah. to be like a priestess nun kind of thing. So not his best move as a follow up, but anyway, <laughs> trying to get it somewhere. Yeah, his heart was in the right place. His heart uh, started question. in the right place. <laughs> I don't, know. I don't know it's been a minute since i've seen troy but i i can see the vision i remember the vision that. um chiseled in my mind uh almost as chiseled as his abs uh <laughs> do you have any last thoughts that you want to impart on us on achilles and why he was your favorite period piece crush um you know, again, the superficial reasons I've mentioned, very few <laughs> redeeming personality characteristics. I have you guys read the book Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller? <gasps> Michelle. Oh my gosh. I don't know how you did this. Uh, before you joined the call, I was saying that I loved the book Song of Achilles and I was going to give it a shout out so at the good. end of our podcast to tell people to read it or to listen to it. The audiobook is phenomenal, but it's really well written. Uh, you you tell them about it because your crush is Achilles, so I feel like that totally makes sense. Okay, yes. Yeah. So this this Madeline Miller is amazing. She's the author of Circe too. She like created this story about Achilles and Patrocles' love life. And so when I'm fantasizing about Brad Pitt as Achilles, I 
superimpose Madeline Miller's Achilles onto Brad Pitt's personality in that movie. So then I feel better about liking this. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Use, use, but I suggest if you have problems with like chauvinism, but you still want to engage in the fantasy of Brad Pitt in Troy, it's just pretend He's the better version of Achilles. <laughs> As told by Madeline Miller in Song of Achilles, which is great. Yeah. So so if you're into that fandom, but um, otherwise just like turn off your brain, watch that movie. <laughs> Orlando Bloom is play- he's playing like the worst person ever, but he's gorgeous. Diane Kruger is gorgeous. Um, there's Brendan so Gleeson, Brian movie. Cox, uh, the Australian guy. I'm blanking on his name. Yeah, and he's got his ac- his Australian accent bleeding through. I was like, nice try. Um, <laughs> and I like so how they're Rose all Byrne too. Rose Byrne, who looks unrecognizable almost. Um, but yeah, I was like, I love that they all have British accents, more or less, in Greece. <laughs> I, it's so it's such a bad movie you guys like but it's not it's not actually it. a bad movie it's it's got it's got a lot of like um i will say this is kind of like a toned down version of game of thrones you know like game of thrones and dumbed is, down yeah 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 it's, yeah it's probably not like no as good as like the dialogue or all the acting of Game of Thrones, but it's kind of got that same feel of like the music and the tension before the fighting starts and it's bloody. So it's like, you know, it's not going to be as gory and sex driven as Game of Thrones, but if you want a Game of Thrones very light, you can watch Troy and be entertained. It (laughs) is one of the same writers too. One of the same Game of Thrones writers. I think he did the screenplay. One of the guys. Interesting. So that's it. Okay. That might be that might be a good parallel. But yeah, if you're looking for plot, watch Gladiator. Probably <laughs> this is you're not going to get it in Troy. Aesthetic, <laughs> you will. A lot of but dumb you get you got Troy. a lot of peak peak people like peak Orlando Bloom, peak mm-hmm. Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Peak. Well, Diane Kruger is still. She's like Brad Pitt. They she's, they're yeah, still frozen yeah, and gorgeous, time. looking good, yeah. aging like Incredible. a fine wine. <laughs> um. Oh, well, Michelle, do you want to go next and drop us your period piece crush? I will drop my period piece crush on you guys. I'm giving you a two for one today. I like okay. a good deal. So there's two. Oh my god, I'm doing a two for one too. Hotties in this what? movie. Oh. I normally don't do this, but then I was like, oh, I, I can't n- not mention both of them. Mm. Um, this is from the movie, the 2016 version of The Magnificent Seven. Oh. And my okay. two favorite characters in this movie are Billy Rocks, which is a great name. It Billy is a great Rocks. name. I mean, that if you called me that. I wouldn't turn around, but I wouldn't be mad at it either. Um, <laughs> Billy Rocks and Red Harvest. So Billy Rocks is Great played names. by Lee Byung Hoon, and uh, he's proficient oh, with yes. knives. He's got kind of like this long hair. He is a badass. He is hanging out with Ethan Hawke's um, Good Night Show, and they have a very um, symbiotic friendship uh, that I love so much. And then Red Harvest is played by Martin Sensmeyer, which you might recognize him. If you go to IMDb, you're welcome for that picture. Um, But you might recognize him from Westworld, from Yellowstone, and a really great movie called Wind River. 
He's a Comanche warrior. Um, These two guys, every time they're on screen, they don't get as much screen time as Denzel Washington or Chris Pratt. But they give me, as I was telling Kim earlier, oh, my God, my characters give me goosebumps. They're so good. So for those of you who haven't seen The Magnificent Seven, The Magnificent Seven, well, it's also a song by The Clash, which most of you know, but this is a remake of the 1960s, 1960 original, which starred Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen. Um, but the thing about this, it's not a shot for shot remake. It's um, got new character names and so it's not a, a straight like um, you guys I saw this movie in the theater I don't consider myself someone who like loves westerns and maybe I'm going to prove myself wrong with how much I like westerns but this movie is so good it's got kind of like the grandiose like shots um, it's beautifully shot um, but what Isn't I like that Quentin Tarantino Mm-mm. oh never mind no. No. I'm thinking of something no. else. You're thinking eight. You're thinking of the hateful eight. I'm thinking eight. of the hateful eight. <laughs> you're thinking of you're thinking a different of adjective it. and a different number. Anyway. Different number, different adjective, different director. Antoine Fuqua, he um, actually watched The Magnificent Seven when he was young and it inspired him to be a filmmaker. So then he did this remake. So it's a modern version on this classic story. Um I'll just read you guys a summary for those of you who haven't seen it, but it doesn't give anything away. So within the town of Rose Creek, under the deadly control of industrialist Bartholomew Bogue, who is played by a disgusting Peter Sarsgaard, who I feel like he's like that always in just different versions of characters, but maybe that's just me. Um, The desperate townspeople employ the protection of seven outlaws, bounty hunters, gamblers, and hired guns. As they prepare the town for the violent showdown that they know is coming, these seven mercenaries find themselves fighting for more than money. I mean, how could you not want to watch that movie? I'm into it. I'm telling you guys. Amazing. I think that if you guys, if anybody out there, if you guys like The Mandalorian, um, chapter four and season one of The Mandalorian kind of has some similarities, which isn't a surprise because I know that The Mandalorian kind of uh, borrows from spaghetti westerns and from um, samurai movies. So I will say, I can't tell you a lot about both of these characters without giving too much away, but I've got a couple fun facts for you. So when Anton, speaking of what Kim was talking about earlier, about diversity and casting and when you're a casting director, how you look at who's going to play these roles that you have. So Anton Fuqua, he met with the studio executives to review actors for the film, but he was like so unhappy with who the studio had under consideration because they were all white. So mm. he thought mm. that the audience would mm. really take more to a story that had characters from a wide range of backgrounds. And so that's why you have Denzel Washington. You have um, these two guys that you, I'm listing their actor names. You're like, who? But I'm like Martin Seizmeyer, Lee Bong-hun, and he's been in a bunch of Korean action movies. Mm. Um, but they're all... They're all different. Um, you've got Ethan Hawke. You've got Denzel Washington, obviously, as one of the main characters. Um, one thing I did like is that um, when Anton Foucault first met Martin Seinsmeier to cast him as Red Harvest, he liked him so much because he had this long knee-length hair. And he was like, this is Whoa. my guy. He's going to play Red Harvest. Um, but no oh one God. told Martin Seinsmeier that that's why they liked him. And so he went and cut his hair after getting 
cast in the movie. And he cut it soon after. And then Anton Fuqua, when he showed up, he was like devastated. They didn't have this long hair. But in the movie, they they give him a different hairstyle. He's got this crazy mohawk and it works perfectly. But I thought that was like kind of a fun fact. And then the other fun fact is that um, Red Harvest is an homage to Akira Kurosawa, who oh. borrowed the plot from a, another samurai movie that we've talked about, oddly enough, when it comes to The Mandalorian, um, Yo Jimbo, which came out in 1961. And so they named uh, Martin's character Red Harvest as an homage to Kurosawa, who also directed The Seven Samurai from in 1954. And um, mm. this Magnificent Seven is based on the Seven Samurai. Wow. Um, so, yeah, some of this movie is shot at Ghost Ranch in New Mexico. Some of it's shot in New Mexico, Mexico, but there's a part where Billy Rocks shows up and we first meet him with Goodnight Robichaux and he's being recruited into the Magnificent Seven. It's such a good scene. Um, but cool fun fact is that Ghost Ranch is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and that is the home and studio of the artist Georgia O'Keeffe. So um, oh, I thought that, that was like a, a cool thing. Thing. Um, so love this movie. Love these, love kind of all the characters. Um, I will say that Chris Pratt had some depth to him in this movie that I was okay. kind of surprised by. I wasn't mad about it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm going, mm, that's all I'll say. Um, Denzel Ooh, is, <laughs> Denzel is Remember great. When Chris Pratt used to be cute. He used to be cute. Yeah. Remember, he was cute when he was Andy to me. I know. That's what I mean. He was yeah. so cute before he like started being weird and opening his mouth and doing weird things. Anyway. And he, he kind of plays a Jack Assy kind of character. Smart Assy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Smart Assy yeah. kind of Jack Assy. Not like my favorite. But Denzel is amazing in it. Um, mm. I highly recommend it. Even if you're not into a Western and you go like a good action movie. And I'll st- I say it all the time. I love a good revenge story. Ooh, this Ooh. is a good revenge story. So oh. uh, one of my favorites. Oh my so The God. Magnificent Seven, Billy Rocks, Red Harvest. Ugh, love these two characters so very much. But I had okay. to work hard to find them. <laughs> girl, uh, girl, these I need to. These men are, um, I I, I, I am BD'd them and they are, your taste is impeccable. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my God. You, you guys have you. to look these up. Girl, I am going to watch this movie. Michelle always talks me into watching great things. So I always take Rex from Michelle. She is on the cusp so of everything that is great in this world and that media is creating. So uh, I'm ashamed still that I got this mixed up with the hateful eight, but you know what? I'm getting old, so they're That's weird. all right. That's all right. They That's both have numbers in them. and They both have numbers and an adjective yeah. and a the at the... Th- <laughs> Wait, they're, both de- westerns. they're both Westerns. They're both yeah. Westerns. And I said yeah, Spaghetti Westerns. Westerns. And Quentin Tarantino wanted to do a like, Spaghetti Western kind of take. Is Denzel... Wait, who's in Hateful Eight? Is Denzel in Hateful Eight? Um, I don't remember. That movie sucked. I don't think he's in that. <laughs> I, I thought it, it was so, it was reviews, so it. violent. Like, I wanted it to be something that it wasn't. Like, I just felt like it was a gross shootout. And I'm not one who's like, oh, it shouldn't be violent. But I was like, oh, this is this is too far even for me. Like, I'm not into it. Anyways, this is this movie is Denzel's first Western. I should have looked up to see how many Westerns that he's in. But 
I mean, this is just action-packed. It had me going from beginning to end, and ooh, I wanted ooh, to see ooh. how all of these characters, how they all fare during this revenge story. Because this guy comes to town, and in a very modern-day take, he's like, look, there's gold on your land. Um, I'll either kill you, or I'll pay you, like, whatever. I think he's like, twenty. I'll pay you $20 for your land to GTFO and leave me alone, so um, I can just be richer than rich and some people in that in the town were like no thank you and he kills them and so people are upset about it and so mm-hmm. there's mm. a li- there's maybe a little twist at the end that i'm not going to give away but if you haven't seen oh it my God. the magnificent seven yo queuing it peter sarsgaard is the bad guy mm-hmm. okay okay i sat next to him once at a dinner it was one of those blind dinners, <gasps> like where you take off your blindfold and, and next it's to dark you inside. Peter Sars. It's dark inside, and it was like a blind wine testing dinner, like where you drink and like eat the food while you're blindfolded. What? And then I took the blindfold off, drunk as hell. <laughs> and Peter Sarsgaard was next to me, and all I could think of saying to him was that you know the movie Orphan that he was in. I don't. Is that a horror movie? That's a horror movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a horror movie where, like, they adopt a child and the child ends up being, like, a 40-year-old woman who, like, murders <gasps> yes, them. I do know oh, this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So there was a real-life orphan scenario playing out in the news then. And I was like, Peter Sarsgaard, you know orphan is real? And he was like, what the hell is wrong with Yes. You? But he was very nice other than that. <laughs> and he's a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Peter Sarsgaard aside. Sorry Yo, this is a crush fictionally scoop. The only thing I think of, of of Peter Sarsgaard is he did a bit on, he did this skit on Saturday Night Live when SARS was a thing. So, you know, this was like what? 15 years ago or so. This was like a while ago. Yeah. And you know how they have like celebrities obviously on Saturday Night Live and then they do like a commercial for something and he's he was selling the Peter Sarsgaard Sarsgaard no I was and just so gonna when, say it, don't tell me it was a Sarsgaard it was called a, the Peter Sarsgaard Sarsgaard and he just kept saying it over and over and whoever wrote that whole skit it made me laugh so hard and so whenever I see him I think of that so thinking if you would have turned to him and be like hey Peter Sarsgaard's Sarsgaard. How are the sales going for the Sarsgaard, Sarsgaard? So much better. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if I can you. find it. It just made me laugh so hard. Oh my oh god, gosh. that's hilarious. Well, good Poor to know Peter he's nice because he's he's terrible in this movie. He plays terrible very well. <laughs> he, he does. He plays, he yeah, that's his type. He does. That's, that's that his is type. his. T- he's definitely got a type. But speaking of type, Kim, guys. I also did a two for one this week. I couldn't help myself because like you can't have one of these characters without the other. Now, uh, look, I, I didn't go all the way to Greek Roman, you know, uh, ancient Greece. I didn't go all the way, uh, back to, uh, Western civilization. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, the old West wild West times. Wow. I, <laughs> I went back to the 1940s for Ooh. a little known movie. It wasn't made in the 1940s, but it was set in the 1940s. It was mm-hmm. made in 1994. 
a little known movie called The Shawshank Redemption. Now, this is that movie that Michelle already knows this where I can't skip it. If it's on TV, it's playing, I'm going to put it on. Uh, There very well could be new content that I should watch, but I will watch Shawshank Redemption for the 543rd (laughs) time. So Shawshank Redemption, if you have not seen this movie, it is based uh, on a novella by Stephen King called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Now, uh, the storyline follows Tim Robbins, who plays Andy Dufresne, and Morgan Freeman, who plays Red. And uh, they, uh, they, they meet because uh, Andy Dufresne, he's a banker, and he gets convicted of murdering his wife and her lover and is sentenced to the Shawshank State Penitentiary. Penitentiary. I can pronounce this. I Hope, guys, prison. Told me he's sent to jail. He's sent to prison, guys. <laughs> he went to jail. Okay. Um. And so, anyway, uh, like I said, the film's based off a novella. This novella was released in 1982 as a part of a collection of short stories by Stephen King called "Different Seasons." And so, anyway, there's a lot of funny, fun facts. Two other short stories from that collection were also made into movies. You may have heard of "Stand by Me" and "Apt Pupil." So, anyway. A few fun facts that I'm going to throw at you before. uh, But actually, first, let me talk about why I love Andy and Red. Now, Andy and Red have such a sweet friendship. It This movie, to me, is all about... Guys, you've heard me and Michelle talk about this all the time. But who is the villain? And Mm -hmm. what is good? What is bad? We follow these prisoners in jail. We know that they're in there for whatever terrible reason brought them there. But it is about the friendships and, unfortunately, the terrible things that happen to them in jail um, and the people they become while there. But anyway, Andy, played by Tim Robbins, he immediately, uh, Red, played by Morgan Freeman, takes a shine to Andy and they become really good friends. And if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with the movie, Morgan Freeman's character, he's like the guy who will get you what you need. So, you know, you pass him a buck or two, whatever, he'll get you your cigarettes, he'll get you your uh, whatever items you can. And so he gets Andy these items. And uh, I, I won't give anything away if you have not seen the movie, but it is just so, so good. And it explores so many things about. Um, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Stanford experiment, but the Stanford experiment is this very controversial experiment. I think it happened in the eighties, seventies or eighties. And it assigned volunteers to be either a prisoner or a prison guard. And they wanted to monitor how people's behavior changed when given and given a role and, and there's a movie that just came out a couple years ago based on this, right? And they show what happens when they did this. Ooh, it's terrifying. There's a book about it. I think mm. the book's called 
the devil's advocate or something, something about the devil. Um, guys, don't quote me, just Google the Stanford experiment. But it is so fascinating because these are, were just normal everyday people who were just given an assignment of prisoner or prison guard. And they change based off of the power they were given or, or was taken away from. And so I oh think God. this whole story is just a really beautiful and eloquent take on the Stanford experiment and who we become and do we ever get to make up for past mistakes. I love this movie. I love Tim Robbins in this movie. I love Morgan Freeman in this movie. Uh, funny enough, because we, you know, we, we always talk about Tom Hanks on this podcast. There is an alternate universe no, where Tom stop, Hanks. Stop. Instead of Tim Robbins. Instead of Tim Robbins. Get oh. out. Show me that movie. Oh. I want to see it. I d the thing <laughs> is, is that I don't want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see both. I would probably love them equally. You know, I got to be honest with you. I love Tim Robbins in he's this. I think he it. is so wildly perfect because he's got, he's giant, right? Like as an actor and a person, he's huge. Like he's mm -hmm. very tall man. Mm -hmm. And there's this like gentle giant a nature about him that I think just perfectly feeds into this character of Andy Dufresne and did he murder his wife and her lover and this whole, uh, this whole scenario. Anyway, Tom Hanks apparently declined to play the role of Andy Dufresne because he was already committed to my favorite character played by Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Gump. <gasps> mm -hmm. Oh my God. So uh, other people that were considered Kevin Costner. no, um pass pass yeah but i do like Ke kevin costner but no i don't see I do. him in this i agree i i do like kevin costner but i again i'm married to tim robbins in this yeah. role i just don't think you can take tim robbins out of this role and have the same movie i don't mm -mm. um same with morgan freeman mm -hmm. um but anyway Ugh, kevin costner but he was already booked for Waterworld. i also like that movie okay here's absolute no tom cruise no hell no. to the no you wouldn't feel any sympathy for boo. a Tom Cruise and Dufresne. Yeah, 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 no. Mm -mm. Boo, boo, boo. Mm -mm. Jeff Bridges, which I personally think he would have been too old for the role. But what do I know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Nicolas Cage? No. <laughs> Johnny Depp? No, 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 no. But imagine mm, young Johnny weird. Depp. Like 19, yeah, I don't, again, I love Tim Robbins. <laughs> I can't. Weird. Yeah, but, once he went down the Tim Robbins route, he kind of... It's him. Know. It's it's solidified. I can't see anybody else playing that role. Other people, Matthew Broderick and Charlie Sheen. Hell to the no. Oh, um, yeah. Hell oh no to God. Charlie Sheen. Hell to the no. So funny enough, Morgan Freeman, who has one of the most distinct and recognizable voices, I think, of anybody in Hollywood. This mm -hmm. was actually his very first time narrating a movie. Really? This movie was his very first stab oh, at it. Fascinating. Yeah, so what they did was before they started filming, they actually recorded all his narrative voice over and they played it while they were shooting. So like for example, if there was a line where Morgan Freeman in the movie is going to, you know, speak over this particular scene, they would actually play it so that the actors would time it out and act to that narration. 
And I will say, it's funny you're talking about narration because I think that narration can go wildly successfully. Like in this movie, it can go so well and it makes the movie, it's absolutely perfect, especially because it's Morgan Freeman. And then sometimes narration makes zero sense at all. I recently mistakenly watched the movie Savages with Blake Lively and Taylor Kitsch and Salma Hayek. And it has... Um, a voiceover narration by Blake Lively. And my favorite thing was reading. I was like, is it just me? Is this movie terrible? And I was like, I can't believe I watched this whole thing and I never get it this time back. And my favorite thing was reading the reviews of, of the movie of people who were like, oh my God, this movie is so terrible. And the narration like ruined it. And I was like, wow. I wouldn't say that the narration was the worst part of this movie, but. It was all, anyways, it's on Netflix. I don't recommend it, but I feel like Morgan Freeman is peak narration. (laughs) Peak narration, right? Shawshank Peak, uh, yeah, peak Tim Robbins, peak Morgan Freeman, I think. But fun fact that you mentioned about narration, look, I don't want to nerd out about this. Like, as a screenwriter, I think narration is such a, it's just a, it's a science and an art. And you, Mm. and you have to have a purpose for it. And I think having, I don't know, I love the way Morgan Freeman narrates the story. I think if you know the story, you're familiar with it, you know why he's narrating it. And I think it's beautifully done. Um, But funny, uh, the, the funny thing about that narration was that all of that was inspired by the movie Goodfellas. So I didn't mention yet the writer and director who wrote The Shawshank Redemption, which I should have, Frank Darabont, who you may know from everything incredible, uh, including The Walking Dead, um, The Green Mile, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Michelle has heard me say this before. I'm a Robert Zemeckis freak. I'm also a a Frank Darabont freak. I'm a freak for Frank (laughs) Darabont. Anyway, (laughs) so so, uh, rewind. Um, Frank Darabont was like, I think Goodfellas is the movie that mastered narration. And he Mm. kept watching Goodfellas over and over and over again because he was like, I want to master that. If we're going to do a narration, we're going to do it right. And I couldn't agree with him more. I think Goodfellas is actually... If you watch it as like a film nerd or even like put that hat on for a moment, I mean, you will just be amazed by the timing of it all and like how the narration perfectly slides into like dialogue happening in a scene. It's just astounding. And I love Goodfellas, period. So it was funny that Frank Darabont was using that as an inspiration. But I know we talked about this earlier, so I have to bring this up. We were talking about, you know, colorblind casting or diverse casting. Well... In this novella, the character Red, played by Morgan Freeman, is actually a white Irishman with red hair. So the producers... Oh, and that's why he's called Red. Interesting. Yes. You took took the... You took the... Yeah. So basically, uh, he was a red... uh, Sorry, redhead white Irishman and the producers were like, oh, Paul Newman, Harrison Ford, Robert Redford, Clint Eastwood. Great. These are all great choices. Um, But Frank Darabont was like, Ah oh, no! I have Morgan Freeman in mind for this role, yes, and was just like, yes, yeah, stuck to his guns and was like, no, I really want Morgan Freeman. I love his voice. I think he has the perfect presence for this role. Um, so in the movie, there's a line where Red explains his nickname, and he says the line, "Maybe it's because I'm Irish," and they left that in as an ironic joke and a nod <laughs> to the it. novella. I love it. I love so. It. 
Um, oh, I love it. And then Sangeeta, because your pick, look, guys, we're going to, I'm going to make all these callbacks and connections right now. Full circle, do it. We're going to come full circle. <laughs> it's all connected. It's all connecting. You brought in Brad Pitt as Achilles and Troy. Well, guess, you remember the role of Tommy Williams, the young guy that Andy Dufresne takes under his wing and helps him get his GED and help him, mm-hmm. helps him mm-hmm. believe in himself? They originally meant, they originally wanted to cast Brad Pitt in that role. What? What? What was this? What, what? Imagine this movie with Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, and Robert Redford. <laughs> there is like all these alternate universes where these terrible versions of the Shawshank Redemption happen. <laughs> Although I don't think I would have been mad about a young Brad Pitt because if you, you imagine him from like Thelma and Louise and it, it, him playing yeah. a more like bad boy who doesn't think he's that smart who doesn't really believe in himself and then they have this sweet like brotherly romance in terms of like uh brotherly romance i said brotherly romance instead of bromance that's very funny um <laughs> they have this sweet you know you said it like a 70 year old auntie who's i know who loves to go brotherly romance <laughs> brotherly ro- you mean bromance auntie yes i meant yes, bromance. what did i say brotherly romance we I, know we know bromance i could have bought that i really could have bought that but i really love the actor who does play this role gil bellows um, and then the last fun fact I will leave you guys with um, is that Rob Reiner, who, you know, peak Rob Reiner, I'm, I'm stealing uh, all of your phrases peak. now, Michelle. Peak. Peak yeah. Rob Reiner at the time. Uh, he read Frank Darabont's script for The Shawshank Redemption. He loved it so much. Um, he was like, yo, I'll give you $2.5 million for the rights so that he could direct it. Rob Reiner could direct it. Um, and again, Rob Reiner wanted to bring in Harrison Ford as Red. He wanted Tom Cruise as Andy. What the hell? Thank God Rob Reiner Mm-mm. didn't direct Sorry, his movie. Sorry, Rob Reiner. Um, but Darabont, he, he, he definitely considered the offer, but he was like, nah, I'm going to keep it. I really want to direct it myself and he even took a pay cut so that he could secure the directing gig i love that i love that thank god thank Thank god God. so many things could have gone wrong so wrong can you imagine a shawshank redemption with tom cruise i mean (laughs) nauseating it's like watching (laughs) savages late night when you're trying to get some work done and you're just like why am i watching this movie it's so terrible is it going to change anytime soon? No, no, Oliver Stone. You're just going to leave me hanging. This is terrible. Here's That's a, what Shawshank Redemption God. could have been. But here's the thing. What I think what makes Shawshank Redemption so great, and I think anything that Frank Darabont does really, is that he really puts you in that time. Like, mm. I am watching these guys and everything from, like, how high the pants sit on their waist to the kind of food that they're eating, the music that they listen to, it it just really paints this era and they're so good because Andy Dufresne, they don't just, you know, it's not like the first year Andy Dufresne's in prison. It's following him over several um, years, several years. I want to say 20 years. I really can't remember. It's a long ass time. They even, they're so clever with how they do makeup on Andy Dufresne to age him up and gray his hair. And he's such a brilliant actor that, Watch Andy Dufresne from him in the beginning and him at the end of the movie and the way he even his body, his gait, the way he carries himself, his physical mannerisms, the way he talks. You could you can't tell me that Tim Robbins didn't like age himself somehow 20 years for that role because it 
it's just so beautifully done. And that is why I chose this one for my period piece because I really feel it. it we are only in this one location, this prison, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm still in the 1940s to the 1960s, okay. even the way they changed the poster on Andy's like wall in his cell to change with the times. It goes from uh, Rita Hayworth, I think eventually ending on, Oh, now I'm blanking. Did it, does it end? I want to say anyway, the way they choose the women who are on the posters, it just goes to show how like Hollywood was changing over time. The outside world was changing yet they still were able to bring that into this prison. I love the execution of this movie. I love the characters. I love the storyline. Ah, it's heartbreaking. Shawshank Redemption. I think what's interesting, that's what we want out of a period movie, like, or a period Mm -hmm. TV show, is that you want to feel like you're in it. Like, you want to feel like you're in that story. And um, we were talking about Troy and I, and you have all these really great scenes and all these, like the, these like costumes and these actors looking a certain way. And yeah, the accents like definitely kind of take you out of it, (laughs) but I feel like you want to, you want to imagine yourself there, whether it's like gladiator or something that you're in that story. And I like, when I'm watching a Western, I want to be like, Oh, that would happen. I don't want them necessarily using like, uh, you know, new, modern dialogue. Like, even though it's a modern take on like a Western, I still want to feel like I'm in this like small Western town in the middle of this shootout, and this is how it would go down because you've got people fighting with whatever means that they had in this little small town, yeah. and you know, not to be like using colloquial slang from that I used last week. <laughs> Yeah, I I appreciated that about Bridgerton is like sometimes when they played like modern music in period shows, it's like very jarring for me. I'm like, you're pulling me out of this completely immersive world. But she she had like the she had um, covers of like all of these modern so cool. songs like done by a, a string quartet so i was like okay i can kind of get behind this so and it's you got can flair, hear it and you hear it and it yeah. makes it different like we've talked a little bit about lovecraft mm. country and they have a lot of modern music throughout mm. like they have music from that time and then modern music which but i'm okay with it well we know why i'm okay with it but anyway <laughs> I'm okay with it. I think what Great Gatsby was really good at doing that too, in terms of like having that. Man, that 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 soundtrack was that soundtrack slaps, man. For it's so so good. good. It's so good. (laughs) Um. Anyways, I loved all our uh picks. I think we good picks. We We just ran the gamut of everything. History all over the world. It was great. It was real great. We should take peek everybody. Peak everybody. Peak this podcast. Um speaking of peak, we do need to take a quick break. Uh, and then we'll give you a different peak. kind of speak peak. A sneak yes. peak. A sneak when peak. we come back. <laughs> All the wordplay when we come back. <laughs> hey guys, so we don't have any official sponsors or advertisers for our show, but we would like to give some special recognition to businesses that we have used and really appreciate. Uh, We would like today to tell you about Semicolon Bookstores, which is a black women-owned bookstore and gallery space in Chicago. Um, They came recommended to me and have been fantastic. 
Although they are open one day a week in the midst of this pandemic, you can check out their website at semicolonchi.com. They've got a great list of recommendations from everybody who works within the shop and some really fun categories uh, that are some books that are relevant to today, books for children and babies, as well as some books that you may recognize because they were made into movies. So if you get a chance, check out Semicolon Books. You can find them at semicolon, that's S-E-M-I-C-O-L-O-N-C-H-I. Again, that's Semicolon Bookstores, and that's S-E-M-I-C-O-L-O-N-C-H-I. Check them out. They're one of the best bookshops out there. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to Crush Fictionally. Well, like we said, we love good wordplay. We love a good sneak peek. We always like to give you some recommendations. Um, Sangeeta read our minds for like the second time in the last month and told retold you about the Song of Achilles by um, Madeline Miller, um, which is her take on Homer's The Iliad. Anyways, excellent, excellent book. We highly recommend that. So don't forget to check that out. But there was something that actually was reported this week that Carrie Fukunawa is um, going to direct the adaptation of Tokyo Ghost, which is a comic book series. I feel like we're seeing a lot of that lately of comic books or video games getting made into like TV series or movies, but Tokyo Ghost is set in 2089, where humanity has become fully addicted to technology as an escape from reality. It tells hmm. the story of peacekeepers. That doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> yeah, I have no frame of reference. It tells the story of peacekeepers Debbie Decay and Led Dent, who work in the Isle of Los Angeles and are given the job that takes them to the last tech-free country on earth the garden nation of tokyo anyways i'm sold you know carrie fukunaga from um the first season of true detective you know him from uh the beast of no nation uh i actually think he's i was gonna say i think he's from the bay area i don't know if that's right i feel like i just probably made that up because he's mixy mixy and super handsome um but um i'm in i'm in for this i don't know who they're going to cast in this but it sounds interesting and um i don't know if that really makes it if it's in the future maybe it's more fantasy or sci-fi than it is a period piece but hey it's a little bit of a stretch funny enough Michelle and I have both been reading the same book and we haven't been talking about this. Uh, this is so wild. This, we just found out right happen- before this, this podcast. This hasn't happened before. Like you and I are on the same wavelength most of the time, but I don't know that we've ever been reading a book at the same time and not known. Right. And Michelle looks at me and is like, wait, you're reading a book? <laughs> No, I didn't say that. I no, was like, I think true. I just started. I just think I just started the same book, but I couldn't remember what it was called. That tells you how smart I am. No, 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 Kim. I'm not gonna lie. I've said this already on the previous podcast, but Michelle's the more avid reader of the two. I'm not ashamed of that. It's just facts is facts. Okay. So both of us are reading a book called The Sympathizer, and why I picked this up, I okay. can't remember. I came across this book, and it is by a Vietnamese author by the name of Viet Tan Nguyen, and you got to check it out. I mean, if you're looking for a, a fictional book that brings you to Vietnam War era and gives you a very witty perspective on uh, the war and how, as a person who is half Vietnamese, 
Uh, my mother did not want to talk about the war a lot, which who does, right? I, I, I imagine it was a very traumatic time for her. So I get to read this book and see something from a few different perspectives, learn more about my mother's culture, about this war. Um, and it's just so beautifully done. So just to, I'm going to read the synopsis for you guys, but it's Pulitzer uh, Prize winning for fiction. Uh, the Sympathizer is one of the most acclaimed books of the 21st century. With the pace and suspense of a thriller and prose that has been compared to Graham Greene and Vladimir Nabokov, The Sympathizer is a sweeping epic of love and betrayal. The narrator, a communist double agent, I'm looking at you, Michelle. Yo, you know I love a good double cross, you guys. (laughs) I know you do. The narrator, a communist double agent, is, quote, a man of two minds, a half French, half Vietnamese army captain who comes to America after the fall of Saigon, and while building a new life with other Vietnamese refugees in Los Angeles, is secretly reporting back to his communist superiors in Vietnam. Guys, this is the story I've been waiting for. We were talking a lot about like more diversity. I hope this gets made into a movie or a series or something, but I am enjoying this book so far and not just because it's teaching me a lot about my own culture and that time of history, but just because he does such a beautiful job. Um, Michelle, what do you think? I know you're also obviously... Um, I'm not very far along, to be quite honest. It came through as a recommendation... Um, from some list. I feel like I get recommendations on all these different book lists and then something will hit and I'll be like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I read the synopsis, which Kim just gave you. And I thought I could really be into this. So, um, so far I'm fascinating there. It's just, I love books that are really obviously well-written, but let's face it, not all books are well-written. Madeline Miller, we talked about earlier, really well-written book, but I feel like it's a, so far it's been a really well-written book and it's very, um, you get a real sense for the narrator and it's very um, vividly told, you know, like it really paints the picture for you. So, so far I'm liking it. I have a really high bar from a, from um, a memoir I'm coming off of. So, mm. you know, stakes, stakes are high. Stakes <laughs> are high. Stakes are high, but I'm excited about this. And it came highly recommended because I want to say that this author also has another book out that's that people are really excited about. So I I can't wait to get more into this book. Yeah. And then Sangeeta, you said you had a recommendation. Yes. I, well, first of all, The Sympathizer is amazing. Also, mixy, mixy representation. Yes. Um, and I just want to tell people to keep an eye out for two Dev Patel movies. Dev Patel has made it his business to be cast as the lead in period films that would typically cast white men. So one of them is the green Knight, which is being made by a 24 and is coming out this summer. And it's a retelling of Knights of the round table in which wow. he plays the King Arthur type character. Yes. Yes. And then the other one is the personal history of David Copperfield yeah. in which you oh, play Yes, David you took the words right out so. of my mouth. Oh my God. That looks so yes. good, by the way. I haven't watched it yet. I know it got a nod from um, the Golden Globes, but I have not watched that yet. I need to watch it. It looks amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. He is one of my favorite actors. He's gorgeous. He's so talented. <laughs> and he's he's what I want the future of, you know, period dramas to be cast like. Oh, my an brilliant. Man, I so. totally forgot Keep about oh, David yeah. Copperfield. 
So good. I love those recommendations. Guys, we got to get into our honorable mentions. Sangeeta, do you have any honorable mentions for period piece characters that didn't exactly make it to your number one spot? Yes. I want to give queen of period pieces, Kira Knightley, a shout out (laughs) for being the most amazing period piece actress of all time. She makes Daphne Bridgerton look like child's play. Oh, um, <laughs> nightly in atonement. The the green dress scene yes. in atonement. I don't even know who the male lead in atonement is. She's so good in it. Pride and Prejudice. Anna Karenina. I have like I just read the book, so I'm sort of like, I don't know about her mixed how feelings. she played that, but yeah. mixed feelings about that. But but she is like, I don't know if she even wanted to do period pieces her whole career, but like she, <laughs> I compare every period piece actor to her Aww. because she, to me, is is the gold standard. Again, it's another, it's another white person, but I, I have to Look, this is the world we live in, nightly. you know? Yeah, this is, I've said it before, <laughs> the crown is just white people being white people. And, you know, Kira <laughs> Knightley is just in period pieces, white people doing white stuff. Um, but she's amazing in atonement. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not huge on Kira Knightley outside of period pieces. I'm just going to say it. I like her Ooh. and Pride oh, and Prejudice. Good outside of them. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she just there's something about her that lends herself let her lends herself to these period piece characters, but um you know, I really liked her in Pride and Prejudice for sure. Oh, well. So good. Michelle, who do you got? Oh, Jacinta, was that it? Did you have more on your list? Oh, my bad. Oh, I just went. Yeah, no, that was that was pretty much it. Um, check out Daniel Day Lewis and Phantom Thread. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I don't know if the Mummy movies are period pieces, but <laughs> yes. Brendan Fraser, amazing. <laughs> I love. I'll, I'll take I'll um, take the Mummy for sure. Peak Brendan Fraser. Yeah. I mean, why did Peak this Brendan <laughs> Fraser? <laughs> Brendan Fraser in the Mummy movies. I love it. Oh my God. That's yeah, so good. He was good. such a cutie. He was such a hero. He is everything I want Achilles not to be in terms of his personality. Mm, this so is true. That's for that's me. True. Yeah. Oh, Michelle, who do you have? Oh, I, I got my list here. This He was at the top of my list until he got knocked out um, by the badass dudes in The Magnificent Seven. Colonel Brandon, played by Alan Rickman in Sense and Sensibility. Right? I mean, <laughs> so good. He's so good in it with a young Kate Winslet. I just love that movie. I feel like it's so romantic. And he is, I love Alan Rickman in general, but I love him as Colonel Brandon. He's so sweet. And even he's throwing up in the money in the air at the end and it looks dangerous and going to hurt somebody, but I um, love him so much. Not mad about it. Um, again, pre- peak Brad Pitt being peak Brad Pitt as Tristan in Legends of the Fall. Oh my God, I, mean, I was going to put him down. Hadi Bumbalati okay. in, this, in this movie. I can't get enough of it. He is, he is, um, he's a little bit sweeter maybe than Achilles and Troy, but um, he's troubled um, and trouble because he's so damn good looking. Um, Mr. Darcy, Matthew McFadden, the, the oh, Matthew cute. McFadden version of Mr. Darcy to Keira Knightley's um, 
character in Pride and Prejudice. And then I've talked about this actor before. And man, I just want to see him in more things. Um, but I do love the character of Oishi, played by Hiroyuki Sanada in 47 Roman. Oh my God, I yes. love him Girl. so much. He shows up, He showed up in that episode of Westworld. You guys don't know how hard I was trying to make one episode of Westworld a period piece just so I could talk about this man. <laughs> <laughs> I think he is so badass. I just want to see him wheeling a sword in more things. Um, 47 Ronin. I don't know. That's really, it's kind of, it's kind of like the mummy movies. It's m- fantasy set in a certain time period. Um, but, and I'm not mad at Keanu Reeves in it either. And then I'll <laughs> give a shout out to everybody who's in Lovecraft Country because yeah. I think everybody is so yes. amazing in it. And um, there nobody got any credit. I think they got maybe like, maybe some SAG nominations or something. Whatever. Whatever. Deserves so much Justice more. Justice for a journey. Justice. Right? Yes. Justice. Oh, the God. female characters in that show are amazing just phenomenal all every single one of them just so amazing and i'm sad that none of them got recognized because some of them had their own episodes but anyway we'll just crush on them here instead Mm -hmm. who you got kim Alrighty, guys y'all remember crouching tiger hidden dragon i mean michelle yao as yushu lin I uh, I probably butchered that name, but like, holy shit, she's so freaking magnetic in that movie. It can't take my eyes off her. I think she is like one of the most gorgeous and like brilliant actresses, but we don't get to see her as much in Western stuff over here in the U.S. because we are crazy Americans. Um, but I'm glad that she's having a moment with crazy rich Asians. And I love how um, mm. she's a part of uh, these shows coming out. I believe the new star Trek. Yeah. Uh, am I, am I, I'm blanking on the name discovery. Is that what it is? Discovery guys. I haven't watched it, um, but she looks good. She looks good in the trailer. That's what I'm going to say. Also talk about peak. Always being peak. She looks, she's an age today. She looks great. I can't. Ageless wonder. I can't. I can't. She. um, Call Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. She's definitely seeing a witch or something to where she has like sold her soul to the devil or something. And in order for her to stay the same, to look the same throughout time, like there's just no way. She's definitely talks to a witch doctor. Anyway, still love her. Uh, George Valentin, played by Jean Dujardin. I think I'm definitely butched that name. And The Artist. Do you guys remember The Artist? That was such a lovely film. I remember seeing that in a theater, being like, oh my God, this this film is so sweet. It's so romantic. It's so romantic, Uh, isn't it? And he's so... set in black and white. Oh, it's so cute. I love the storyline, the little dog. I mean, come on, it's got everything. And I, I... Again, that's another actor that I need to see more of. But I guess because he's a French actor, predominantly French actor, we just don't get the gift of seeing him as much in Western stuff. And (laughs) guys, I'm going to bring in last one, Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes. I have no problem with this. That's great. None whatsoever. (laughs) I love it. I eat it up. I think he is a very fun take on Sherlock Holmes, one that I would have never envisioned. I think is very fun. Uh, he's got perfect delivery per usual Robert Downey Jr. Those are my honorable mentions. I Excellent. Love it. Robert or Benedict? 
as Sherlock Holmes. Girl, you trying no to start comparison. World War Three up in here? Um. <laughs> I might go. I don't know. That's a tough call. I do sometimes like Benedict Cumberbatch, but I like. I don't know. Robert Downey Jr. is kind of like a good cheeky Sherlock Holmes. He I think. is. Also, I have not uh, to. I I know it's like a show I need to watch, but I have not watched the Sherlock series with Benedict Cumberbatch. It's very. Good. I know. I've. I, it's very. Everyone good. keeps lecturing me. I will get on it. One of the four thousand things on my watch list that I need to get to. Uh, but I will do it. There's just so much to watch. There's just so much to watch. And guys, I think. As time goes on, we'll see more of those diverse faces and these period pieces. Thank you, Shonda Rhimes, again for giving us Bridgerton. And she's just leading the way. She's tra- she's blazing that trail, right? What a trailblazer. Anyway, Sinkita, oh, you've been a dream. Just a dream. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Uh, we had the best time talking to you. You are awesome. Obviously, you're an awesome writer. We love everything you write. Ken, is there a way for our followers to follow you and your work or support your work? Yeah, um, I'm on thecut.com. You can subscribe to New York Magazine. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, but not very often. So, yeah, give my articles clicks. Yeah, that's guys. right. That would be amazing. Share them with your friends if you like them. But um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Your crushes are amazing. I have crushes on all of your crushes. Oh, same here. I can't wait to go and watch all of these movies. I know. And obsess over these people even more than we have here today <laughs> oh my god yes that's the whole point is so that you can continue your crush along after this podcast ends <laughs> yes and find if you not ones. we have all so many good recommendations for everybody to watch um thank you again sangeeta for being with us today thanks to campfire media thank you listeners for tuning in of course you can always leave us a five-star review on apple podcast if you haven't yet um or you can leave us lesser stars and let us know how we can improve um don't leave us lesser stars <laughs> but you can slide in turn to our dms and tell us <laughs> who your favorite crushes are because we would love that more than your sad review (laughs) this is true we do love constructive criticism ideally not in the review section but you know what (laughs) Uh, hit us up in our dms and tell us hit us up at crush fictionally on twitter and on instagram and as red would say get busy living or get busy dying (laughs) that's a good one in between episodes, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Crush Fictionally. And feel free to slide into those DMs. Or tell us about your favorite fictional crush when you leave us a review on Apple Podcast, And we'll read your crush out loud on the next episode. You've been listening to Crush Fictionally with original music by the talented Edith Mudge. Artwork by the incredible Rose Feddock. And produced by the amazing Peter Burns. Thanks for listening. I'm Michelle Veray. And I'm Kimberly Trung. And remember to love yourself. Because your love is real.
Hi, my name is Eve Sturgis, and I have one question for you. Did you ever think about how much sex it takes to build a family tree? Those recreational DNA companies like 23andMe and Ancestry have such wholesome commercials about being Irish or Italian and connecting family and learning about heritage. But really, it's all about sex. Trust me, I made an entire podcast talking with people about the shocking discoveries and the deep, dark secrets that come to the surface with a few drops of spit. Season three of Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is coming at you April 16th from Campfire Media on all the pod platforms. 